0: managed some humor um who is the autistic comedian person you recommended to me yesterday
1: Hannah Gatsby
0: yeah so that I then went and watched on Netflix and it was completely hysterical um was it uh, relatable content it was incredibly relatable content it was actually really really good to see an autistic content creator and um there's, I know some other people who basically... Basically, there are people who aren't diagnosed with autism when they're younger because so they don't have a significant problem with it. So then they go through life. and Then later in life, there are people are like, I think you're autistic, like with Hannah Gatsby. And then what's really great about people who are diagnosed with autism later in life, who aren't having a huge problem, they're like, yeah, I'm so fucking what? Like, I'm great, though. Like, isn't that fantastic? Like, why is this... You know, rather than this, like... I'm disabled and I have a problem. Perspective <laughs> the rest of us have.
1: <laughs> Is that how you would describe your perspective on disability?
0: <laughs> I was fine until I had to... Yeah, until I had to start working with uh, Arts Council funding, yes. Yeah. No, no, I was fine. And then I had to start working with Arts Council funding and I was like, I've got to say what, everything's fine. And then I had to be, work, be uh, in a professional environment to a professional standard and just like... Uh, yeah, and now I'm now I'm spactated, <laughs> retarded. <laughs> Too bold. retarded, do Oh no, you um. <laughs> say so, like just like mentally in a wheelchair, like yeah. Um, basically, is why I also there's a lot of things where you have to you have to do a thing for these professional standards called like an access document, and it forces you to put yourself. What's really interesting about this is that I'm I'm in the future. I'm not going to do an access document. I'm going to do like a disability autonomy document because I don't need access. I have access because I make good art and you want me in there. I don't have a problem accessing it. I have a problem being autonomous within the situation because you as an institution put, have rules and practices that disable me. And so if I see, and so, and I don't get to have access to these things unless I see myself as disabled. That's the problem. I don't have autonomy within these things. So lots of institutions, basically, you have to force yourself to be disabled. So that's why it was really enjoyable seeing someone who has a career already in stand-up comedy, who then found out that they were autistic later in life, then have an, a perspective on that, because they get to circumvent this all entirely. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's really interesting. Rather than, yeah, rather than... It's like, because also when you're, when you're someone who's earlier in your career, obviously, you have to do... you want, You need to try and do every single thing you possibly can to, like, get in and so uh yeah it's also interesting that there's lots of autistic people who do things later in life at like 35 or 40 or 45 or something like einstein's autistic and that's when he released the general theory of relativity and like if you read about hegel's life he reads as super autistic basically and then he also basically you did something uh, when he's sort of middle-aged and then hannah gatsby is sort of like 40 or something like that and uh i mean i'm just gonna keep telling myself that because i'm 30 and i still haven't done anything much of significance yet so fingers crossed
1: oh my god you've repl- you've <coughs> like you've come up with an entirely new political ideology called commucracy <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay okay i'll take that thank you
1: yeah like, I, I, I'm sure you'll return the favour next time I'm uh, enduring a little bit of uh, doubt uh, about who I am. And who I am is Queen of the Heavens and of the Earth, Empress of Despair, and Architect of Your Eternal Suffering, Olympia Bukakis.
0: And I'm losing the world's premier autistic green
1: drag queen. And you're listening to our podcast, Sluri. Slui.
0: Yes. oh, I'm glad we talked about this process. right you mentioned the big I word there.
1: Yeah, yeah, because uh, today we're talking about oh god, sorry about that.
0: <laughs> um, I love it when you break the rules because I'm just like <laughs> 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 I think of them as I think of them as disobedience coupons. <laughs> I'm sure you do.
1: I can see I can see your like the gears in your head like going over like How do you say The the gears in your head Like processing I don't know Processing the The new allowance That you have to be Even more chaotic
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think my alignment Is definitely Oh you know those D&D charts Where it's like Lawful Neutral Evil And then Are they Dungeons and Dragon
1: Charts? Dungeons and Dragons Okay I don't know Anything about them Yeah Although A nerd that I worked with You
0: get the joke Uh, No you get the vibe I get the vibe. No. Well, who did you work with? Who did you work with? A
1: nerd that I worked with when I was eighteen mm-hmm. in a call center. She was so nice. She told me that my face, if I was a Dungeons and Dragons character, would have high charisma points. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I was like, Well,
1: <laughs> I guess I am kind of considered charismatic, <laughs> but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. Now you go. I'm not yeah. sure if it's my face though. I thought it was just me. <laughs>
0: No, you know it's your face because now you just stand there and do lip sync to Joni Mitchell where you don't move and make people cry. Yeah, and then, but then you got Botox. So now all your riches are gone. Minus five charisma points. The great
1: great thing about being a drag queen who gets Botox, who does lots of sad performances, is that actually the Botox wears off in between the treatments. So if you time it right, you can still have the proper facial expressions when you need them. (laughs) It just requires proper planning, like most good things in life.
0: Oh, well, I'm fucked. Um... (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> but, but, yeah what were yeah. you saying about this this thing This Our, so there's like there's
0: different there's different alignments so there's lawful neutral and chaotic mm-hmm. and then there's also and- good neutral and evil mm-hmm. as well so on that matrix so you can have someone who is like lawful evil for example who would be like Mitch McConnell mm-hmm. uh, or like Theresa May or something like that and then, uh, you can have, uh, yeah, yeah you, so you can have someone who's like a true neutral or you can have someone who's like lawful neutral or something like that. Who's like just a bureaucrat or you can, all these things. I would say my vibe is definitely chaotic good.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I would put you there. Definitely. Where would you put where me? Would you, where would I, where, 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 would you put you? Well, no, cause, oh, because, ah, oh, I was going to say no, but I put you there, but I don't know. Um. I would hope somewhere in the good side, (laughs) Mm. Um, but I don't know. I think I have a foot planted firmly in the, um, is it lawful and what's chaotic? I think I have a foot planted firmly in lawful and a foot planted firmly in chaotic. Yeah, I'm going to go with neutral good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Because you can be quite lawful. Yeah, totally, absolutely. <laughs> but then I, I then I can be very chaotic. Yes, <laughs> that's why I come to you for tax advice. <laughs> Did you say tax advice or sex advice? That's why I
0: come to you for tax advice. Both. Because the thing tax. is,
1: I feel like I could give yeah. pretty decent tax advice, and I could give pretty good sex advice.
0: I'll tell you right now that you do. Thank
1: you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I was just uh, I was just discussing tax with a cello maker just just before we just before we started this so wait a
0: cello maker
1: yeah yeah but i don't think you're gonna have a cello made uh, no i'm no i'm not gonna get a cello made. i'm gonna buy one that's already made but um i cop out yeah i know but it's i think it costs upwards of like twenty five euro and i just Mm. like (laughs) okay i haven't played cello since i was 18 and i just feel like that would be splashing out a little too much you know, uh, I did,
0: yeah, I did this. I brought uh, an industrial sewing machine with the coronavirus bailout money, and I've literally used it like three times. How much was it? 400 euros. Oh, that's fine. It wasn't like, yeah, it was, like I really needed, I like, I, I was really stressing over it and stuff. Like, I could also potentially resell it uh, as No, well some no, point. keep it, babe. It's yours. <laughs> I
1: don't know why I have such strong feelings about your sewing machine.
0: But you know, yeah, yeah. So the, the
1: topic for it's today is
0: big. But like, it's big, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to get back on the horse. You're going to get on the cello. I'm going to get on the machine and we're going to make music together. Oh my God. Yeah, like...
1: That would be the weirdest band in the world. Me, <laughs> me, me, really me, win. me on the cello
0: and you on the sewing machine. <laughs> <laughs> we both have microphones. Slurry on tour. Oh my God. It's just like an experimental, like, 45 minute long set. Amazing. <laughs> like, Wow. Okay. That that's what we're going to put on the next funding application.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Like. Um, so <laughs> I. So this the topic. This uh, this episode is identity, and I love that we that we started with that that meme thing of putting ourselves in the dungeons and dragon. I, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, I actually wanted to start this because of, of course identity is a big, um, a big thing uh, in the various sort of like political and social, social arenas in which we amuse ourselves. Um, really?
0: I hadn't noticed. <laughs>
1: well, I wanted to ask you, how do you identify?
0: Oh my God. Uh, with great stress. Right. With great stress. Yeah. And complexity. Uh, problematically. Pro- I problematically identify, uh, definitely, yeah. It's quite interesting. I've been doing a lot of very interesting, uh, what I'm doing for step four of a 12-step programme for Alcoholics Anonymous is your resentments list. So you're, 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 whoever you hold a grudge against, or things you sort of, like, were angry about, and then you have to sort of go, like, why am I angry, and what did this affect, and then the other part, and then sort of your complicity, then what did you actually do with this, and then When you actually go into this, you find a lot of this is things you're very angry about. It's very little to do with um, the people themselves and actually far more to do with something that you had invested within that or a certain concern that you had uh, about things. And I found that out when I was like uh, and sort of so um, there were certain people that I had resentments for. And then also and then I had to do my resentments against straight people. Because I just, I resent them generally as a group. And, um, and that, but within that, it was just to do with the idea that I would, it was, it was my concern and my fear that, oh, and also my resentments towards straight people and also towards queer family as well. And that both of these, I actually shared the fear or concern that I would never get to live a new queer collective life again, or that a queer collective life would not be possible for me to access again. And that's why I'm upset about these, these things. Mm Mm-hmm. In certain ways. Uh, which is really interesting, you know, so it's like, and then, and uh, there, there was a very direct relation. I, I sort of lost where I was going. But like, uh, yeah, that was just part of like, that's just something new that I learned about myself.
1: It's something, uh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I think, I think
0: because I... I well, I'd like, also just to clarify, I think I'm pretty sure I've ranted about queer family before on what, this podcast. What do you
1: mean by queer family? Like people saying that they have a queer family or?
0: I just, oh yeah, no, I've, I've complained about queer family a lot on this podcast, but like basically as well, I think a really great example is like RuPaul and RuPaul's Drag Race being like, wow. oh, we're queer people, queer family, all these things with this idea. And like, actually that I feel that like, we, we used to have an experience of queer family and that now in the modern day, in the 21st century, that uh, as culture becomes increasingly a site of production, queer family itself is a collectivity that is typically engineered towards the use of profit. And so, and that actually, and so I found this, I found this working in London with Sink the Pink, that it was, there was the idea that it was a queer family, and it did have this family experience, but it was also as well, the family is a hierarchical structure within capitalism that uh, props it up. And so, and the, you know, there's, there's, I just see this a lot that, and the, uh, the way that family works. But hey, you know, like, um, there's like, a, this I is, wanna be, yeah,
1: there's an interesting thread there because, like, I think that neoliberalism or like financialized capitalism has uh, increasingly eroded uh, the status and the role and the internal functioning of the nuclear family. So like mm. this promise that there is uh, a husband and a wife, and then the husband goes out to work, and then everyone has enough to eat, um, and the wife does the reproductive labor. This promise has been like withdrawn. So it was it was like uh, it was a condition that was afforded to. We've spoken about this too. Um, mm. uh, it was a con- uh, like a condition that was afforded to a select group of workers um, in like the capitalist core. So like in Europe and North America and. And Australia and not all workers but like and some of them um, and then that idea of that became sort of hegemonic that's what a family is however true that w- that ever was um, but then that is being like the possibility for that the preconditions for that arrangement have been steadily um, uh, destroyed uh, over the last few decades uh, with the like the dominance of neoliberal government and austerity and all of this sort of stuff and you could also say that a similar thing has happened to queer families because it's like, like that queer mm. kinship networks are also increasingly disrupted by these neoliberal conditions, not necessarily by the exact same things. But it's kind of interesting, right, that like as as nuclear families yeah. are, are falling apart, so too our queer families, because it's increasingly hard. And because, you know, we do this with nightlife spaces and then the more money that comes into uh, comes into this, the harder it is to like, you have to start working out how the money works in the queer family. And this doesn't get spoken right. about enough. Uh, and then, and it, and it is hard because money does, like the possession of certain amounts of money does divide people. So like... Um,
0: yeah. It's also that lots of these things with nightlife and stuff like that, people do it for a certain joy or for a certain extravagance kind of thing. And they put in a level of labour that is actually impossible to uh, pay back in terms of, if you were to think about the amount of hours that people put into this certain costume or into this certain thing or these performances and stuff like the idea that uh so that's why the and that these things are done for done for joy i mean it's also that like the i really miss uh a lot of the feminist argue- like i really feel that one of the things that feminism has is not really spoken about so much in family is the idea of the abolition no wait oh god i just said family twice god oh um abolish the family abolish the family where are the feminists gone who want to abolish the family like we just i think in the 21st century we have still we just take the nuclear family as really still a very as a really inevitable structure we don't really challenge it like a lot i've not seen any like uh i don't see any memes about this i don't see like just the occasional like poly pro poly polygamy thing donna Haraway. Don Haraway. Ah, uh, yeah, but she's old school. Like, um, she's I been doing.
1: She, her, her thing of, what is it? Like, make kin not babies? That's from, that's from the 2010s. Teens? How do we say that?
0: Anyway. Yes, but the thing is, though, is, that is that's, that's just Donna Haraway, who is someone who has been saying the same thing for a very long time. Which
1: is a socialist feminist. And so I think a lot of socialist yeah. feminists are still saying that. It's just that the dominant discourse is very often liberal feminism dressed up in some sort of identity radicalism.
0: Oh, my God, yes. that's true. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. It is. This is really cool. Yes, and it's also because it's liberal white feminists. Liberal feminism is typically white feminism. And it's also the Bell Hooks, in talking about feminism is for everyone, says that feminism's kind of like really like the political movement started off with all these like consciousness raising groups that were done in people's like lounges and stuff like that where it was like women coming together different uh, different women from different backgrounds like cleaners uh wives like people with jobs people without jobs all these things and then it's the women's studies department started in universities but then these were t- this is when uh it turned into this very liberal, uh, white institutionalized feminism Mm -hmm. in which these people like basically, and then it's like women looking for the same possession within men within the structure, within the structure of the society, rather than trying to fundamentally shift the structure of, of that society. Yeah. Hmm. And sort of seeking like very like institu, yeah, like institutional payouts as it were. So like the, uh, like smashing the glass, like creating, creating female CEOs. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Rather than problematizing the structure of the CEO and see how that actually uh, perpetuates just effectively war on mm-hmm. huge swathes of people.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like I think it's th- what's kind of interesting now, though, is that there's certain kinds of this liberal feminism that get dressed up as radical, uh, radical uh, kinds of like uh, like a radical critique, um, and actually yeah. like that. I think there's a real trend of this in. Um, in queer politics uh not Mm. not like uh not necessarily like just like when people talk like when queers talk i think that this this kind of thinking can actually make its way in the back door and i think this is uh like really we do like
0: to use the back door (laughs) (laughs)
1: low-hanging fruit but i'll give you that (laughs)
0: low-hanging fruit baby we love a fruit (laughs) fruit with the back door oh my god
1: So, like, when you have. Stick it
0: in my butt. Like, take all of this bullshit, fake radical feminism, roll it up, okay, into a phalagocentric object and just put it in my butt. I need the anal stimulation, I need the prostate stimulation at this point in self isolation. Wow, okay, <laughs> sure. And also, because this, this, this stuff is a pile of shit. No, but tell me more about how these queers use this.
1: Well, I think it's, it's more just that like people, we, um, when we talk, I, uh, I saw like a couple of people who, um, I don't, dis- I don't necessarily, this is... I saw, it's not about the people. I saw the, the, the opinion.
0: Say her name. <laughs> the... Say her name. Name the names. Drag them. Uh, Call them out and cancel them.
1: (laughs) I saw the opinion expressed that it was like people were getting excited about uh, Kamala Harris, right? Um, Ah, yes. And uh, uh, like, uh, because it's like the first uh, female vice president, the first woman of colour as vice president. um, And... This uh, like it's this this argument, which I think I think we've spoken about this argument before. Yeah. Like it's it's much more important what Kamala Harris does in office than who she is. And if you need any proof for that, Margaret Thatcher. Like
0: yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, and
1: it's it's condescending and silly to assume that people because that people's identities are going to make them behave in certain ways because uh, like also people who come from like uh, marginalized backgrounds can have bad opinions. In fact, you and I, I'm sure, have a large swathe of them. So <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So like, no, but it's also- and so but like, um, I saw this opinion like expressed that like that people are excited uh, about this, and it's like. Uh, uh, about uh, Kamala Harris because of her like her identity and her position and like what she's going to do and this I see this this is an extension of a kind of liberal feminism because it's like great we've got a female uh, vice president uh, and then talk about you know this like where this uh, like girl boss sort of stuff comes in but it also comes in I think it aligns and it chimes with this sort of identity radicalism that queers have uh, sometimes no. and I think it's really important to uh, actually this is my segue is I yeah. um, I did research. Research, in group, and because you, re- like, you
0: did do research, yeah. yeah
1: so yeah. like, because this brings up the question of identity, identity politics, which is this like gadfly that just won't. Is, maybe I'm using that word wrong. I should just trust myself. Yeah. Which is this like Whatever, gad, yeah. gadfly just that's make like making up some new words. Yeah, like tennis.
0: I did. I did not make up the word <laughs> tennis. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first. That was the first fake word that came because to Because you're head. a low-hanging fruit who loves balls,
1: that's <laughs> why. I mean. um, so, uh, identity politics is this gadfly <laughs> that kind of, like, plagues, uh, like, um, uh, I don't know, it plagues the, like, it's this thing that gets thrown around in these culture wars as well by the right wing. And I think by now, um, like, it's like, identity politics is kind of like um, uh, political correctness. In that, like, whenever someone's using it, like, it's been so tainted by the way that reactionary right-wing people use that word that, like, the word is almost no longer useful. But it's mm. it's origin, the origins of its use, uh, like, the first recorded usage of it is from uh, a state, the statement of the Combahee River Collective. Which, uh, you know uh, them, yeah. right? They're, they're uh, collect- No, I don't. But I
0: know, no, I actually, this is a gigantic gap in my knowledge. But I have seen other activists, uh, particularly Chardin Taylor-Stone, who is amazing. And I love your Facebook. I don't think you listen to this, but you're phenomenal. I've seen them mention them on Facebook and I've seen some other people mention them. So I know that they're cool and that they are uh, please do go on You know actually and Tell me Tell me because I don't know tell, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure some people Listening don't know either So yep. let's learn together
1: There's uh, I learned about them Because you posted a meme Where it said um, It was about people Like it just made reference To identity politics As initially conceived By black lesbian socialists In the 70s Um oh, and, yeah. and how seeing it in that sense, was way cooler than uh, either um, identity as politics or bullshit uh, Marxism that centres the white male worker. And that, that, like, and yeah. <clears throat> that meme actually summarised <laughs> summarized the statement very well. But I, I yeah. looked it up. So it was a statement that was released by the Combahee, Combahee River Collective in 1977.
0: Uh, yeah, sorry, I love that you're educating me about uh something you learned about from a meme that i posted that i do not remember
1: is it this like this is i love the wild time we live it i do i love the way that memes work because yeah this this inspired me to, to find it like to to think about this and then i found them and then i've used this uh this like i've used this statement a lot in my work um mm. and this is this is a quotation from it uh so and they're in the they're in the us Uh, So it says, we realize that the liberation of all uh, oppressed peoples necessitates the destruction of the political economic systems of capitalism and, and imperialism, as well as patriarchy. We are socialists because we believe that work must be organized for the collective benefit of those who do the work and create the products and not for the profit of the bosses. Material resources must be equally distributed among those who create these resources. And then here's the kicker. We are not convinced, however, that a socialist revolution that is not also a feminist and anti-racist revolution will guarantee our liberation. We have arrived at the necessity for developing an understanding of class relationships that takes into account the specific class position of black women who are generally marginal in the labor force. While at this particular time, some of us are temporarily viewed as doubly desirable tokens of white color and professional levels. We need to articulate the real-class positions of persons who are not merely raceless, sexless workers, but for whom racial and sexual oppression are significant determinants in their working and economic lives. Although we are in essential agreement with Marx's theory as it applied to the very specific economic relationships he analysed, we know that his analysis must be extended further in order for us to understand our specific economic situation as black women. Now, can you believe, yeah. like the way that yeah. uh, the way that people talk Amazingly. about identity politics now, like it's so it's so divorced from the context uh, that they put it into there, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can because this is also this is making me feel good. So, um, for a certain extent, I am. Uh, I'm gonna uh, not be devil's advocate and say I am slightly excited about Kamala Harris being this vice president simply because of a statement that one of the uh, Republican. Um, uh, senator said that um, basically said people don't die because they don't have healthcare uh, in America which is just this idea of like oh people don't die because they have healthcare they just don't get as good a service and but like people it's like which is it's just kind of like saying um, people don't die of hunger people without food don't die of hunger and Kamala Harris's official response was what the fuck is that Um, and that she actually said this directly and it's like it's sort of a bit like it's because uh, Kamala Harris, of course, is the shitty version of uh, Alexander oscario Cortez, and the thing is, right, is that uh, dealing with the actual reality of the world is just filthy and horrible and disgusting, and there is no way to do it perfectly, and so we can't get into a perfect set of things. And what it is as well is that we're just seeing that the powers that be are providing uh it was easier to provide certain identity politics and certain concessions on this form than it is to actually apply th- to give concessions on property rights basically and so the other thing is right is that you have to be- you basically to be a proper wing or to be a proper wing or to believe in the need for uh decimation of the existing class order you're also talking about the decimation of every basic structure of society that we have the basic decimation of certain forms of self and other the decimation of like the family structure of basically everything that you've sort of known and sort of been raised by and that's pretty intense and not everyone's <laughs> that intense <laughs> which is unfortunate um, so it's and what's really great about the the Cherokee collective i know that one of the can't the be here collective of it, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, that's so stupid of me. I'm sorry. The, the, the Combahee <laughs> River Collective. Yeah. Uh, like, I just, I have, like, conjunct- I don't know if I have COVID right now or not. I'm going for a quick test tomorrow. So give me a break. It's a pandemic. Um, and uh, the Combahee uh, is What I love about this is they're saying, look, Mark's great, really fantastic, all of these things, but we are living embodied people. We have bodies. We are here in the workforce and we need to have these things and our actual reality of these moments put into the context uh of this or this this theory has to happen within this physical embodied context and so that people so basically is that uh people working within the 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 system the political system as it were as well uh they're working within the context and i think that it's sort of like it's also with this thing of like i don't really believe in the religious it's also as well of being caught up with the idea of like family and like queer family the answer is not in family it is when donna Haro talks about like like kin moving forward. But it's also that with neoliberalism is that we don't have public space to create these new discourses. We don't have space for our identities. And so we are stuck basically with like Kamala Harris because that's what happens when you're so limited uh, and stuck stuck in this, this rule society. Ironically, that Kamala Harris, I, my greatest hope from her is that she will build a prison specifically for trans people.
1: Yeah, you said this. But this is what, yeah. like, I would disagree with you um, uh, on the rare occasion that I would disagree with you that it's important. Do it,
0: I'm ready for a fight. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that, that it's important how she responded to this guy. Because, like... Uh, yep. Hillary Clinton also wrote to D- Donald Trump on Twitter one time, "Delete your account," and people loved that. Like snappy one-liners, you could. You also have a team that like that can write those for you. I, but I do th- I do think what we can learn is that uh, like uh, like uh, if our, if our political leaders uh, don't reflect the population uh, that they like that they supposedly represent, then this is undeniably a problem. Um, but that, uh, like that, that fact exists alongside the fact that the policies that uh, that a leader puts in place when they have a position of power are the most important thing that they do, not yeah. not 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 any clapbacks that they do, not any like uh, like uh, like steps forward in representation that they do, like the actual effect of everyday people as a result of their policies is the most important thing that a leader can do, and. And both of those can, things can exist at the same time. And I think this is what's valuable about the Combahee River Collective's uh, statement, is that they say both, like they, yeah. they, they agree essentially with, like, uh, with like a Marxist uh, like framework. Um, and they also believe that it's necessary to uh, like articulate their position as, as black women, as queer black women workers. Um, and then this, I think the the nuance of this gets lost. And I think you said, like, that this mm-hmm. gets lost because, like, revolution is such a big job. But I also don't think that it's been entirely uh, coincidental. Um, I, think, I think there are people who have put, like, I think it's been pushed, this particular kind of representation, the part of this that's kind of safe. Because it's like, well, but, like, yeah. Biden, rather than, uh, like, uh, making, like, doing some sort of, like, um, what's the word, doing some sort of, like, amends or something like this for, like, his ver- the various racist policies that he has yeah. implemented in his history in the Senate, can pick Kamala Harris and put her there and say, there, done, I fixed the racism of my past. And that's what's really dangerous.
0: No, yeah, yeah, completely, because also, as well, I think the other thing is is that, uh, that there's a lot of various intellectuals from various groups that are... Uh, because basically... There's lots of people who aren't, um, who haven't had the necessary, like, uh, who don't have the narrative strength, as it were, to be, uh, like, uh, Oh, what am I trying to say? Like, oh, fucking hell. Like, look, OK, I, when I was working as a children's librarian, I got suspended from my job when I was 18 and I had to be a fucking, uh, a, like, a, mo- a sex model on webcam for money in a room that was literally going mouldy with condensation because the, of the curtain I had up uh, because it was so, so, so freezing cold without that single pane glass in the winter. It just couldn't be moved. Where me and my mum lived uh, after she divorced my stepdad and we had to move out and from there i went on to become uh and the also as well at the time i was like running drugs with my cousin and um then i went on to become like a drag queen and i learned how to tattoo and like now you know it's like with with all of this like fucking shit i'm just like burn it down ready? lots of other people don't have this experience lots of other people learn about these ideas of oppression in college at university having come from wonderful like privileged backgrounds and all of these things and that they want to be radical and they want to do these things and they can see see that there is work to be done within these things and with these with these identities it allows them to push themselves. There is, and this is a way that capitalism sustains itself. It offers this idea of radicality to people so that they can access that radicality, like in a way that it's not not intentional, but it is a mechanism within capital itself, within these ideas, that there's so many dispossessions and it's so awful and it's so evil that you can, there's a million things that it offers you, it causes a million problems, and there's a million things you can do before you get to the root the root cause of it or these sorts of things. Equally, though, just going to the root cause all the time puts us into this, into this, uh, space where you end up at some Marxist conference with a bunch of old, -old, middle-aged white men shouting at each other, thinking they're being radical. So, like, it's really, uh, the, the... And there is, there is no truth in this situation. There simply, there simply is and what isn't. And, like, I think, uh... That's that's my rant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. think
1: this is really this is really good because actually you kind of like by yourself came up <laughs> with yeah. with this critique that I was the next thing that I researched. Oh, go on, go on, go on. This this book um, uh, on capitalism, uh, like that I keep uh, referring to uh, with Nancy Fraser and Rahel Yegi.
0: Nancy Fraser is such a great name. Yeah,
1: and she's—I think that she's 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 one of my big faves. I really like her. Um, <laughs> she had a like a back and forward in the '90s with Judith Butler about uh, about basically this question that we're talking about. But, um, oh yeah, yeah. And I think that Nancy won, um, but uh, like, the, but they they write back and forward and they disagree with each other. unlike like we do sometimes, uh, and they really enjoy it. Like, yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. Um, Fight. so so then uh she's talking about like what's happened um uh like over over the decades and how this uh like emancipation was it, it was like i've got it here so there's a situation in which mainstream liberal currents of emancipatory social movements have adopted thin meritocratic Market-friendly understandings of equality and freedom that dovetail perfectly with the projects and legitimation requirements of leading sect- sectors of cognitive capitalism. So it's the dominance ooh, of these. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Wait, 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 wait!
0: I barely—I was I, the only words I understood there were cognitive capitalism because my cognitive dysfunction right now is unbelievable. Um, okay, I can read it again. Um, really, okay. I think also, yeah, yeah but, but listeners at home, get ready. It's coming again and it's good. So
1: there's a situation in which mainstream liberal currents of emancipatory social movements have adopted thin, meritocratic, market-friendly understandings of equality and freedom. For, for example, something like gay marriage, that mm-hmm. uh, uh, which, you know, I am gay married, so I'm not like... <laughs> 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 um, uh, with... Uh, that dovetail perfectly with the projects and legitimation requirements of leading sectors of cognitive capitalism. So, and there's another sentence which explains this. It is the dominance of these sectors, which includes IT, Hollywood, and Wall Street, that has pulverized industry and metastasized debt, promoting austerity and cannibalized working-class living standards throughout the historic core of the capitalist world system, so like Europe and North America. And all of this has proceeded under the cover of progressive tropes multicultural diversity, women's empowerment, LGBTQ rights. And so this is, yeah. I think this is, it's really important to sort of put this um, in context that like the um, so a lot of the advances that have been made, some of them substantial, I think also for queer and trans people, like some of them are substantial, um, uh, have taken place at the same time that everyone's, living standards have become more and more uncertain and so this sets us up to be really ripe for a dangerous situation where uh, far-right leaders and strong men can point to um, like decreasing living standards and can point to to gays and migrants and shit like this Um, and like sexually uh, like immoral women or something and say this is the reason for if everyone's growing uncertainty because we've had growing unser- uh, growing economic instability with the advances of like the very visible advances of certain kinds of rights and this is why it's such yeah. a dangerous situation and uh, so they say identity yeah. politics and that's why they can say being gay in Poland is an ideology like that um, That, like so we, we're actually in a really difficult situation and I think that that difficult situation is very similar to the one that you just described in your rant.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we have to absolutely just decimate the myth of the progressive society because I was like, uh, because also you can see right now that the way that sex workers are being booted off social media consistently, like all across, like you can't like do, uh, and if you don't know about this, educate yourself. (laughs) Because I need to educate myself because I, 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 uh, 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 what are you saying? You say it, you say it,
1: my brain. Where where can they, where can people do that? Because I think people do... People, uh, do. people
0: do like to listen to this okay there is a new wave that i was just reading. i say educate yourself because i'm not going to educate you because i need to educate myself again but uh about this okay yeah. i'm 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 being uh egoistic no but there's a there's a new wave uh, there's a new set of policies coming in right now but it's also as well that like um like you can't now promote your OnlyFans fans on social media yeah uh because it's seen as uh anything uh and we need but we need more research about this there's also uh, there's an Instagram page that I follow called Stevie Writes actually and he does little motivational messages and talks about the the need for sex positive environments on social media but we have basically because we're entering a more controlled version of society like there was this the the interwebs that opened up this crazy space of the unconscious the way we could all sort of like have all these desires like explode out and now within about 30 years of it existing within within my entire lifetime um it is now this incredibly controlled space that's coming a lot more to resemble uh, a society um of like thirty or forty years ago, and it's also that Margaret Atwood in this writing course that I was like watching online and stuff, she talks about how actually in the Victorian time, women had more rights in the seventeenth and eighteenth century than they did in the nineteenth century. They mm-hmm. lost loads of rights in that time, and that now that lots of the rights we then women then had to get back uh, from this. And it's also that uh, the average medieval serf like, so a peasant in medieval Europe had more days off a year than the average uh, American worker right now. Yeah. And, yeah, it's also, as well, this idea of this, that also is that this, the, the promise of the neoliberal family has been destroyed, the idea that the, the and the promise, of the, ne- the promise of the family is the Simpsons. It is Homer Simpson as someone who did not succeed in high school, who's just a dude, who can just do a job and he can support his wife and three kids on that job like that promise of the family that is now decimated but the obligation of the 40 hour work week is still there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as well so that actually that is that's not progressive that's not progress like we're actually as well that um so we don't have a progressive society we're not living in a progressive society we're actually as well going back to certain things there's it's even if you just look at british austerity british austerity britain now looks far more like uh is becoming increasingly like the Britain of uh, pre World War one, which is to say basically Oliver twist yeah, and that' t- cute cute hats, please sir, can I have a little more yeah. like at the food bank UNICEF. <sighs> yeah UNICEF just gave food to Br- children in Britain for the first time in its seventy year history yeah and we th- and so if it's twenty twenty now that's since nineteen fifty this organization existed, so that's twenty that's sort of thirty wait no ten years into or five years into even the post-war uh, consensus and social democracy and stuff. And that actually that, that entire uh, period of growth and stability has now just been, it's been decimated.
1: I stumbled across an, a trailer for uh, a porn called Oliver Twink.
0: And... Oh my <laughs>
1: God! <laughs> and, and it's this guy... Like holding like holding a
0: bowl and saying, please, sir, can I have some more? <laughs> I'm absolutely going to watch that later on and I'm going to give you a review. I'm going to find it. I'm going to pay for it. I don't even care. I'm like, it's COVID. I can't go spend money on anything else. I'm purchasing Oliver Twink.
1: I'm not sure if it's still around. Like, I don't know. It, like, I remember I came across it like 10 years ago and I've been telling the story Oh, you came
0: across it, did you? You came across it. did you did you spill a little bit of gruel on the screen Oliver wanted to eat that
1: (laughs) oh my god that's a disgusting image can you imagine coming gruel (laughs) I'm British we do it all the time yeah what is gruel by the way
0: oh gruel is um when you say great
1: and cool at the same time wait that's from me girls right
0: no it's from the Simpsons um it's when Lisa Simpson is cool she's gruel um no, gruel is like, basically, it's, I think it's like, uh, it's just any single thing you can find in the kitchen, basically put in hot water and then boiled until it becomes mm. a thick paste of some kind and then watered down with more hot water.
1: Oh God, that sounds terrible.
0: I think that's basically what gruel is. Yeah. It's like a really thin oatmeal or something. Like it's all like, like flour and water and it was just Yuck. like, and like stale breads like boiled down like into just liquid and it was in the in a in the workhouse where they would where the poor were forced to be in there to be productive in some way
1: i just i just had a thought actually uh while you were explaining gruel that like because you raised this problem that it's like well it's very hard to have a revolution and like it takes days of preparation and so (laughs) um and we have applications to write and all of that but um so, so then like it's like it's tempting or like it, like it's an inviting prospect to go with the little things that are possible. So it's like, okay, a total rev- revolution in, um, uh, in the way that desire and the family is organized. It's probably not gonna mm-hmm. happen tomorrow. So in the meantime, like gay marriage is a nice step. And you know what, I actually, I, I liked getting gay married um, and I think it's nice yeah. that it exists. Um, so I'm not talking like I'm not really interested in talking about. Yeah, I think it's nice eggs
0: specific- yeah, yeah, exist, but I don't think it's like <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So I
1: um like, but the problem is, so then it's like yes, okay, we'll take that. So like then we'll take we'll take a female prime minister or something in Australia. Um, like this is of course this is better than what we had before. But if we see advancing like a decreasing living standard as a result of neoliberal uh, policies and austerity, um. Uh, and then, uh, and then, increasing visibility of like minority rights, uh, like we have, like, 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 what we've had with trans people in the last five years. Uh, so, like, mm. the reason I think that that's like we have to be a little bit uncertain or like critical about that is because if you take like if if it's it's very easy for the far right like uh, to like start a culture war about pronouns because if someone sees every day, you know, like um, say like the Homer Simpson of that family, like, you know, like yeah. he sees every day, like it, it's been harder and harder for him to live his life over the last 10 years. And then uh, and then, like, it's very easy for a populist leader to say, the problems in your life are real. And it's bad that people are telling you to worry about pronouns because you're already working hard enough. Like if like, unless we do act like, which is mm. of course, is of course bullshit, but like, just because something's bullshit and we don't want it to be that way, doesn't mean that's not what's happening right now. And I think that's happening mm. in a lot of different places. Entire countries, uh, like large groups of people, have been taken up in this idea that, like, that, um, like, so, so, say, like in Russia that like um like it's much worse to be queer now than it was 15 years ago in Russia you know and mm. this is like because like uh like the people have managed to spin this thing that like uh, that like gay people are somehow responsible for the evils of <laughs> of like uh like the the collapse that came about as a result of the collapse of the Soviet Union and so it's yeah. like it's i think i agree with you i just think we need to be really careful about what like little like um like representational sort of uh, like morsels we get of progress, because if they don't come with sort of lasting change and address the very real structural problems that we have, then they can turn into things that become very dangerous for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know about Madeline McCann? No. Madeline McCann was a child in Britain who went to Portugal with her parents, about six years old, and she disappeared from the holiday resort. I think
1: I did hear about it, yeah. Go on. Yes,
0: and so, and what happened was, is that the, it was in the 21st century, in Britain tried, uh, the British police tried a technique they don't normally use, which is they used an American technique, and the, because in Britain, typically when these things happen, Uh, Britain's a very draconian society that likes to be very, like, uh, shut down with its information and uh, doesn't like to be excessive with it. Um, But there's this American strategy where the idea is that you sensationalise the child missing as much as possible so that the media, so that you mobilise the capitalistic media process so that you see the child's face in as many places as possible. So that then someone, so that then this is a more effective way, so someone might see the child Uh, see, we'll see the picture and then they'll recognise the child out and about. And, um, so the British police tried this and it just exploded. It was absolutely unbelievable. Like, it was just insane. Madeleine McCann was everywhere. She's still everywhere. Like, it was, it was a complete shit show. And I really feel like, and, um... To the point where there was shannon matthews who was another working class child who disappeared where uh and it was like a working class yard and it was like a scummy a family and all these things and it turned out that the mother was so desperate for money that she had drugged the child and hidden the child to try and like uh do these things because oh this yeah like uh because there was uh this huge because it was such a huge process like it was people lost their mind. And um, I really feel like this is what we've, this is what queer rights is. Or like we've used this strategy again and again, where it's like the (laughs) idea of like coming out, and, like, having all these hashtags, like, I feel like that's what it is. Missing children to describe queer politics. I love this. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Keep going. Keep going. I think as uh, strategically, strategically of what we're looking at as well, this process of, like, rather than actually, like, being like, okay, we're going to sort this out. We're going to, like, have some queer representation. We've got to have this, like, fucking, like, it's okay to be gay and all these things. And this huge, like, noise about all this stuff, rather than actually addressing just the basic realities of the way that people are living, as well, and that also, and that is because the power, the existing powers, don't want to have uh, any redistribution of that power. Mm. And so, one of the few things that you can do is that you can create, uh, use, is that queer people is one uh, well, of the few things we can do is use spectacle to sort of get attention and all these things. But then it basically turns everything about. It turns the idea of whether or not we have rights into an issue of how good is our advertising campaign for yes. ourselves in that sense. But like, for example, um, rather than using protest to redress the fundamental power relationships and that's what a protest is about. Like during Act Up, uh, during the AIDS crisis, Act Up, they uh, literally, uh, ag- when one guy died of AIDS, like his friends took his body and left it on the steps of Town Hall. Like, uh, Jesus. And s- yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, another strate- Jesus and another strategic use of a dead body. Like, yeah. This is just it. It's about actually dealing with the, you know, it's like, and I can imagine all sorts of people, you know, it's like, oh, this could be, oh, I saw, oh, I've had so many friends who died of AIDS. Like, this is so triggering. It's like, you know, it could be said now, whereas these people yeah. were like, so, uh, and that's not to, you know, it's just about the idea of the way things are. Look, you could just got to get, this was a, really redressing the very realities of which we're yeah. dealing with. Rather than this very saccharine thing. And that it's also as well that the things of ACT UP and the things of the AIDS movement and stuff like that, these weren't used to sell cookies. You know what I mean? These weren't used to sell more products. These weren't yeah. things you could use then in an advertising campaign. Whereas everything that we look at for rights now is also something that can be used in an advertising campaign.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I was like, I think it also makes me think like... Um, it's yeah that it's so much about like the PR of uh, like like our identity is also being becoming a kind of PR um, and <sighs> the um, like the problem is that for example like some of the okay bigger pro- some of the most acute problems facing uh, queer and trans people are something like familial rejection poverty and violence right mm, um, yeah and those things <laughs> sorry
0: wait. oh god Did we just say this again.
1: Familial rejection, poverty, and violence. Oh, like, yeah,
0: anyway. Just, <laughs> I get all three. I get all yeah. three. Yeah.
1: I, yeah. And, and uh, so the thing is, like, having, like, an, a non-binary person with really good cheekbones be a brand ambassador like is nice, I feel good. I wish my cheekbones were as good as theirs, but I, like, you know, this is a total hypothetical. I actually like, uh, I'm not talking uh, specifically about anyone, but I, this, this doesn't provide me with anything beyond a, oh good, I'm not the only like non-binary weirdo in the world, um, as, as many problems as I have with the word non-binary as I do. Uh, but like, mm. um, but like a, a, a comparatively much more boring reform, which is like welfare doesn't is not like welfare and housing should uh, should be available to all regardless of their familial situation, um, mm. and uh, access to healthcare for trans people should be much easier. Uh, like those things, yeah. like if you address those things, you address the key sources of suffering in queer key and most equi- acute sources of suffering in queer and trans people, uh, trans people's lives, and that's about healthcare and uh, healthcare and welfare. So healthcare, housing, welfare support. It's like, and this stuff, this is stuff that like people don't get so excited about, but this is really where you solve queer problems.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also as well, but the other thing is right? we can have both right? It's like, it's also just, absolutely. we can have both. It's like, that. we need these things, we need visibility, we need to have, we need, if brands are going to, if, it's sort it's of as all like, if brands are going to exist, then we need queer people, uh, being brand investors and being involved and stuff like that, but it's always this thing, it's always, we can never look at this and be like, ah, the job is done. It's like, there needs to be, we need work, and we need solidarity and that this, the, the process of neoliberalism that turns every aspect of our life into, like, even the way that Instagram, like, pr- like, f- f- Feel that I'm accessing my friend's content when I'm actually accessing adverts on there, and then I'm seeing myself as how I can produce the most, uh, the most viral content in these things. And I think of myself then, and as I how I can produce. Uh, I'm trying to think how I can get some of the most engaging content, and that's really me thinking about how I can make the most money for Instagram, basically. Yeah. Like yeah. that's really me being focused on that, and um, but. It's also what's important to understand is I think that, uh, that what gets lost as well is that there's like this idea of like boring politics or economic politics or something like that. that uh, and then there's exciting queer identity politics or these sorts of things. But it's like that what we have now is that we that look, if we were to actually go forward, these things would happen anyway. We wouldn't end up with just these like f- we wouldn't end up with just like uh, LGBT History Month. We'd just be able to have if we had a more equitable life, a way of living. We could have an LGBT life. Basically, yes. we could yes. have these things. But that right now that like just with the consistent closure, like with the with the closure and the shrinking of gay bars, all of these things. Like you just have to go and watch. Basically, a really great thing to watch is the Coquettes documentary. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yep. So it's like a bunch of queer people living. It's even that I was, because I was living in a queer housing project that was evicted, basically, uh, mm-hmm. which is Liebig 34. And this was amazing. And it, it was also, there's, there's other ones exist in that exist and that basically that if we weren't having all the space around us controlled so heavily, I know, but it's also, uh, we would actually have more of a queer life. But whenever you go, I find it's often very difficult to go with other queer people to these protests or to these things. Uh, and I guess that's because it's just, difficult. I don't know, I want to, I want to blame queer people for their own dispossession or oppression, but I just think that, and it's like, and this is very much about identity and how, uh, what is the identity? I think that I'm just kind of actually to a point where I'm like, we shouldn't actually have our identities and our homes politicised to the level that they are, actually, that I actually resent identity politics being discussed everywhere because that's actually my fucking identity being discussed everywhere or my right to be able to do these things and it's basically as well just basically saying that this is uh, a discussion of my identity or of identities at the same point and it's i think that a shift in discourse focusing on the very real tangible way that power structures work rather than just like woo representation is really 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 vital and necessary and I think that other people, though, are beginning to feel this way.
1: I think, uh, yeah, I think that's what you said is exactly what I think. Yay, we're I Yeah, I think it's so much, I, it makes me think that, like, because a lot of, like, let's say, like, uh, a lot of uh, queer politics, especially queer as opposed to LGBT, uh, like, to gay politics, uh, is very sort of, like, hostile to um, to the heterosexual of the species. Um, but like, um, I think it strikes me as we're talking about this, how a lot of the things that would be good for queer people would be like they're tied up in things that are good for straight people like Mm. like 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 autonomy and the ability to live a comfortable life without other people interfering uh like in who you are too much like this is also good for straight people and i think that like those ideas Mm. where there can be that crossover are particularly useful even if they're not so exciting or like or interesting this idea that like that welfare is a is a queer issue and that people need to care about these like broader structural things um, and actually it's not enough to say well at least this is something when we see a model who looks kind of like us like I think it's really really dangerous for, for us to do that because we like we could be saying that all the way into the apocalypse well at least it's something and it's like I want more than something I want a yeah. livable life
0: yeah what I want is I want you listener to look inside yourself because there is a small thing that you can do and there's a small thing I think that we've done a certain aspect, there's a certain point where actually is that whilst it is a very big thing uh, to do a revolution, it is a very small thing to internally commit to this idea actually and that there is a, fl- a switch you can flick and just be like actually I'm not going to be okay with the way that everything's going uh, and I am going to, I'm going to address this. And it's important, it's also, the problem is with lots of these things is that you can get bogged down then in a lot of resentments actually, where you start, and I know this because I'm doing Alcoholics Anonymous Step 4 and I'm dealing with all my resentments and stuff. There's actually a way that you don't have to be identified with every single uh, moment, but you can say actually that I do, like, the uh, to start actually seeing these, like, tokenistic branding things as just being that. They are just the legitimacy of a system that itself needs to be destroyed and it's trying to save itself from that
1: this is our last episode for uh the year 2020 and i think that is the point that i would most like to leave it <laughs> on Absolutely. Like, look inside yourselves dear listeners find that revolution switch and flip it, <laughs> make, Flick the commitment.
0: it. Flick it. Oh, make it your yeah. new year's
1: resolution
0: Boom! Let's start with a bang, preferably the Houses of Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, it's been a uh, distinct pleasure to chat with you again, Uzing Gloop.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you put up with me and my potentially COVIDed brain, Olympia. <laughs> it's a pleasure.
1: Uh, <laughs> so we, uh, and thank you, dear listeners, for uh, staying with us uh, this year. We will be back in the year 2021. Uh, where because uh, the the problem was never the numbers 2020 uh, but rather uh, (laughs) imperial financialized capitalism uh, and the various axes of oppression that underpin it uh, we will be back with just as much to talk about next year
0: yeah maybe that's it maybe 2020 is just a switch
1: yeah switch the bitch
0: Switch ah! Oh my god, just imagine I like we're like there, we have an army, we're taking down the rich and like we've ransacked Baumarks for all of the tools and we're building glorious high beds and amazing housing projects and we're living in a beautiful queer utopia of Berlin. Yes. <laughs> I want beautiful. like oh god, I want a patchwork like, leather skin rug of Joe Biden and Donald Trump together with, like, their heads at the front of it, like one of those old tiger skin rugs, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) bye. Bye! (laughs)